Welcome into the second episode this week here of the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm Colby Orn Birch. I'm joined alongside Kyle Marshek. And we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit of football, as I talked about last episode. Um, going to be previewing or looking a little bit at the world of football, uh, some of the most recent transfer news. And on top of that, we are also going to go and look at the NFL. Um, uh, uh, Kuiper, Mel Kuiper, I don't know why I was almost going to mess up the name, uh, released his first uh, mock draft and wanted to list a couple surprises from that. But on top of that, we have some playoff stuff to look at. So uh, without any further ado, uh, Kyle, how has your morning been? This is actually the earliest, I think, that the Thursday or four podcast has been recorded while I've been on. But it's definitely, I I wouldn't say I'm a morning person, but it's fine. And I'm very happy with it. I got my coffee. So as long as I got my coffee, I'll be working. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, no other way I'd like to wake up on my birthday. So uh going to have to get used to it. But, you know, uh, first birthday away from home. I'll uh, I'll figure it out. I, you know, I need to look in, but I guess this is a big old birthday episode for you. So happy <laughs> birthday. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lot of exciting stuff today then, too, because there's I mean, you know, there's some stuff on my end. You're definitely going to be uh, having some fun with some friends on your end and. So it's going to be an exciting day for both of us with this pod to kind of kick it off. Absolutely. Yeah. So without further ado, let's kind of get underway here. I know that there's one of these um, soccer transfer rumors that we can specifically talk about, um, but we'll go ahead and get to the Premier League after this. I do want to start here with a little bit of talking about Usman Dembele. Um the rumors between him and Barcelona, um, if people have not known uh, earlier in this window, was the fact that they were having contract negotiation issues and uh, Dembele's team thought they weren't getting enough money. And I believe that Barca were just saying, like, we gave him a reasonable offer. Um, I don't know why they aren't accepting, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of the, you know, the narrative you'd expect from either side there. Um but now it sounds official that uh, Dembele does not want to resign with the club. And I don't remember who said it, uh, but I believe that there's someone in the Barcelona board that said they're going to look to sell him by January 31st. So this is yet another young talent that is going to be hitting the market expected this January for cheap. This one sounds like a guarantee comparatively to Den- uh, Denise Sicaria. Um, so very interesting. Um, I, I, don't, I don't believe you have too much on this, but really, here's here's what I have. Um, if people remember back from, I believe, 2018, actually, it's probably even earlier, but he was, uh, I think, the record transfer at the time when he went to Barcelona, and he was one of the best young players in uh, world football. He shined at Borussia Dortmund, and it's very sad to see kind of what happened to him at Barca. He never really became a starter. He, was, he wasn't able to be consistently fit, and... It, it, it just he kind of like lost his charm in a sense. He he became less of this young like like up and comer that everyone wanted, and he became more of like this guy who was like he he has talent. He's shown it at Barca, but it's been few and far between. Um, as I said, whether it's due to injury or whether it's due to when he is healthy, he didn't get those starting minutes. Um, granted Barcelona is not a content club, so they kept buying wingers, wingers, and wingers. So, um, all I know for it is this, 
Uh, I think that the writing for this transfer was on the walls uh, after Fedan Torres was announced about a month ago to be coming to the club. Um, I mean, as I said, Dembele really hasn't been able to do much for the club, and they've it's been one of their quote-unquote worst purchases, uh, no matter the circumstances. So I think that Barcelona um, need to get his contracts off the book. And I think that he needs to go and find himself a way to shine somewhere because I would love to see him shine again. He was an incredible young player. Um, There's certainly clubs that I think would be willing to offer him. Uh, There's been rumors of PSG and Juventus um, with Juventus maybe being one of the more likely ones as they look like they want to move some players themselves to try to, you know, kind of jumpstart this team into being decent again. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. All I'm going to say here is someone who's going to be supporting Dembele uh, as, you know, like the whole soccer community will kind of support him as like a person and like playing time, et cetera. I just want him to go to a team where he's going to start. And then if he's able to stay healthy, we'll see where his career can go from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, like like you said, it's it's the writing's on the wall. Um, I mean, you know me, I'm not super knowledgeable of the Prem mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, uh, European football, excuse me. You know, like you said, from what you know, he's not performing as well as he should be um, at Barca. He started his career at Ren in League One, and, you know, he was at Borussia Dortmund as well. Um, wherever this transfer could take him. I just don't know if he fits in the system of a lot of Spanish teams. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to look going back home. I'm just looking at his information right now. He's freshly married too, um, to a, a French woman back home. So I wouldn't be surprised if he would look to go back to France, although that's kind of just a, an awkward speculation. Obviously, his social life shouldn't affect his career path as much as I, I speculate it could, but um, a lot of young players have external things that affect them if they're slowing down this early in their career. We see that with a lot of young stars. It doesn't really matter what sport it is. Uh, I remember, um, though, this was actually, I, I believe his wife had cancer, the, the, but granted, uh, Raja Nangulan, who was one of the best midfielders just back four years ago, uh, was all actually in a situation where he did have a personal move, um, and I think he went to Cagliari, so his wife could be around the family. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what's going on with him now. Obviously, the best to him and his family. But so, I mean, you're not fully off, you know, off the rails with saying that a personal move can make sense. And on top of that, if you're at a low point in your career, why wouldn't you want to go back to the place you started and see if you can kind of restart things for yourself? So I think what he started at Stade Rene, that could be a decent shout. Uh, or even like a club like Los Glier, who have to sell some of their younger players and younger talent um, to these bigger sides since they, I believe, yeah, they won the league on and then, uh, you know, qualified for champions league and everything. So everyone's been targeting their players. So moving on, there is a little bit of news here, which I think is interesting. Um, uh, whether the goalkeeper rotation or not was a bit weird with the U S uh, as we'd mentioned over the summer between Horvath and uh, Stefan and Matt Turner, there's rumors uh, uh, swirling. Um, it was originally reported by Taylor Twelman, um, but it was the rumor that Matt Turner is in contact with Arsenal to possibly come to the club. Uh, certainly it's the number two keeper, but I think this is definitely a very interesting move and I want to hear your take on it. Well, again, I mean, you, 
know me when it comes to world football, I'm a big proponent of young players from the U.S. starting to make big moves. And this is just another example of young guys um, beginning to shine and getting huge opportunities over in Europe. You know, I think he's going to be a great fit under a lot of the guys there. Um, uh, Piotr Cech is over there. Uh, and, and I just think it's going to be a good fit. Obviously, uh, his saving ability is really good, his shot saving ability. Um, his distribution has some work, and I think that's kind of the difference. Um, a lot of young keepers can have great shot saving ability. I mean, this kid's 6'3", so he, he obviously fills in the goal really well. Um, mm -hmm. But it's kind of small things like distribution and uh, command on the field as well that uh, kind of makes the difference. So I'm looking to see just small tools in his game improve and be another example of uh, young goalkeepers beginning to shine over in Europe. I don't believe Sheck is at Arsenal anymore. I believe he's actually oh, at yeah, the board. Yeah, wrong. But what, what I will say is this. Um, I could see why Arsenal's going after him. Um, he is relatively a veteran um, at 27. Plus, there is a chance that he could still develop and do pretty, uh, you know, pretty well. 27 is still relatively young for a keeper. Uh, if you were to kind of guess a prime age for a keeper, that's probably like you're like 31, 32. Um, so. Turner's still relatively young for a keeper, or, or at least not to what is his quote-unquote primes. Uh, so I could see him being a backup there for Aaron Ramsdale. And if he's as cheap as what um, this link pulled up here, as Football Talk four hours ago said that they submitted a 5 million euro bid for him, um, then obviously I think this would be a steal for Arsenal. N not like, you know, to praise Turner or anything, but Turner is a solid keeper. Um, you know, he put up good work for um, the U.S. and whatnot, and obviously he's someone that's in that rotation. Um, my only concern is this. For Turner, you're in one of two situations. If you don't mind being the backup keeper and really not getting much time other than uh, maybe cup minutes, then honestly, this would be the place for you. Arsenal is going to give you a good bit of money. You'll, you'll probably get a nice contract to be the bench keeper. And then you'll come on for FA Cup and Carbop Cup. Um, so, that, so Aaron Ramsdale, who has been absolutely incredible this season, can focus on the Prem. And if Arsenal is able to back, make it back in the Champions League, Europa League, etc. cetera. Um, but if Turner doesn't want to, and Turner wants to get starting minutes, he's not going to get that at Arsenal. So to me, I think he knows, I think he is going for the former because there's, there's no way that he expects the latter to happen. He's not going to replace Aaron Ramsdale. He's been one of the, like the best like key, like transfers from this past summer, uh, which is a bit shocking because we all kind of thought originally like kind of Premier League neutrals. And I was like, this, this is stupid. You guys love like Brent Leno and whatnot. So Ultimately, for Arsenal, this looks like the writing is on the wall for Brent Leno and that he's probably going to be leaving the club, whether they can get him out this winter, um, th that they'll get him out in the summer. I don't remember when his contract is up. But for Turner, it looks like that he just wants to go here uh, and he'll have a good contract and he'll be able to play some cup games. I just don't want him in a Zach Steffen situation where he's the backup. It's, you know, like Steffen's the backup at City and doesn't get that many minutes. Um, and it just kind of like ruined Stefan's game a little bit, which was why we had this goalkeeper debacle um, in the summer uh, with, with the rotation and everything. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, I do agree. Love getting Americans out into Europe, but it, it just depends on what Turner wants. And if Turner uh, wants to be at a decent club, to good contracts, all good for him. And obviously, be very happy about that. The final yeah, I mean, thing I do... Uh, hmm? Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. 
Uh, I agree. It's all circumstantial. I mean, you look at it from that perspective where, you know, if he's fine with not getting a ton of minutes right now, this is a great spot for him to develop. And you see a lot of young American keepers do that. They are perfectly fine being a number two elsewhere um, in the EPL just to grow. And eventually they can succeed. I mean, that's exactly the system Everton used with Tim Howard. And he obviously ended up shining more on the national stage, but obviously had his moments in the prem as well. Um, you know, so if he oh, was incredible in the prem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was he was one oh, yeah. of the best. He, he, um, he, was, he was one of the best at the time. I mean, that was just one of the things where Manchester United just developed way too many keepers. And it's like we they couldn't keep Tim Howard. So it's like, OK, uh, Everton, you want him? Cool. You can have him. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that's that's kind of my main point is if he wants minutes, obviously, Arsenal isn't the club to go to. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, 27, his prime is only a few years ahead of him. These next couple of years could be huge for him to develop under um, Ramsdale, like you said, is one of the best keepers shining right now in the prem. And obviously for mm-hmm. a club that's still fighting a Champions League spot, only a couple spots out under Tottenham right now um, at six in the table. Again, you know, if he's looking for more minutes, uh, some of these middle to even, you know, relegation worthy uh, clubs are, are teams that he could look at. Cause obviously these mm. uh, smaller clubs who, like I said, have a history of developing young keepers um, like Everton um, would be a good spot for him down the road. But for now, I think this is definitely the best chance for him to develop his game in the next couple of years and perhaps catch a starting spot over in Europe. Certainly, it'll be interesting to see uh, if he does make this move to Arsenal, whether he will want another starting spot or if he's just going to become like Arsenal's uh, security blanket, just in case Ramsdale or, uh, you know, if they do have to move on from Ramsdale, uh, you know, like that starting keeper gets injured. So, I I mean, I love the move for Arsenal. Um, It's just going to be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, Also, I'm interested to see what happens with Brett Leno. I like this keeper. Um, the final thing, though, which I find very interesting um, is Newcastle United's most recent transfer push. So if you remember when we talked about Newcastle United back a couple of weeks ago, um, I said that this club was definitely pushing for players that were very much unexpected. Um, like they were pushing for Sven Boltman um, of Los Clier, um, amongst others, Boltman really being the biggest name and Lier saying that he is not leaving in the winter. Um but obviously, they've already went ahead and bought Chris Wood. They went ahead and got Kieran Trippier. But now they've been going ahead and offering for even more players with the players uh, that I currently have here that are up to bat being Jesse Lingard. Um, Lingard has been looking for a move away, I think, for Manchester United for probably the past year now after he was shining at West Ham uh, for the last half of last season. Um, and then... They are also going after, which I think is really the biggest surprise, and not only the biggest surprise, but there's a little bit more to this, Diego Carlos. Now, you may not know the name um, specifically. He's a La Liga center back. But Diego Carlos is a player who's been kind of a mainstay at Sevilla's starting center back position alongside Jules Kunda for a few years now. And they're currently the second team, the second second place team in La Liga. And Newcastle, um, it has been reported by Fabrizio Romano that Newcastle already has personal terms agree with Carl, Diego Carlos. So again, put, put this in perspective. He is at the second best team currently in La Liga. And honestly, I think that is probably exactly where Sofia is at. But a team that's at the relegation zone in the Prem He's already agreed personal terms with, and now it's just all function of whether Sevilla is going to sell him or not. So 
I find this very interesting, even not even solely for the fact that uh, Newcastle is attracting the likes of Diego Carlos, who's an excellent talent. Um, but on top of that, really what it means for the Premier League as well. Um, to me, I, I'm going to say this, and I, I'll be interested to see if you agree or not. What I feel like is, is this specific move shows how um, how much influence the Premier League is starting to gain over other leagues. Um, the fact that uh, the you know number two team in La Liga, like one of their top players, is uh, wanting to go to Newcastle, um, is shocking. And again, like, why would a player want to do that? Money, sure. Uh, getting probably he's probably getting like a huge uh, weekly contract offer from Newcastle with new money. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so that's one bit, but the other bit I think is just the draw of the Premier League and the draw of the competition and how good every single team is. Uh, the Premier League is, uh, you know, kind of as we were talking about basketball last episode, almost like the Big Twelve in my eyes of uh, world football. And I know there's so many people that have said La Liga is so good and whatnot, but. I genuinely think the Premier League is better than most others. Like there are some teams in the Prem that like are sometimes just horrible and uh, like, you know, their relegation zone for a reason. But most of the time, you like like basically 19 of the 20 teams are going to be semi-competitive or if not very competitive and steal games from some of the top teams. And uh, some teams will get in surprising form. Uh, like Aston Villa was last year with Jack Grealish and this year Brighton is with the leadership of Graham Potter as their manager. Um, I mean, still that he hasn't moved on, but I digress. Um, I just think it shows a little bit of the draw that this league's gaining. Um, So I, as a big uh, fan of the Premier League, that's obviously good for me. Um, But I will also mention this uh, to go at a little bit more of a a closer in perspective, but to look at someone like Newcastle, I think this shows how much influence this board has. Um, Again, this could be a huge money contract, and that's probably what it is to try to get Diego Carlos out of Sevilla. Um, But if they're able to offer for someone that's talented and basically lock up personal terms with them pretty quickly – I, I, I just have to feel like that this club and this management have the uh, willingness and have the money to be able to throw at top talents to be able to bring them uh, uh, over to, uh, you know, rainy England and Newcastle. So I think that this is great sign for Newcastle United fans who have been desperate to have field a half decent team for probably a decade now. And for the Prem, this I think just shows the draw of the league and that they're starting to really just gain ground over the rest uh, with the money there and with how things are going over there, etc. Yeah. And I really like, like I said, you know, my knowledge is kind of limited, but um, I do like that point on, the kind of the shifting strength of European football, I think it's, you know, always been uh, the Prem, but if there is that league that's competing for that top league in Europe, it's always been La Liga. Um, and I, I agree. I think all these rumors is kind of reflective of just how strong those top teams are in the Prem um, or just the Prem in general. Uh, with that being said, I'd like to argue, again, my knowledge is limited. I'd like to argue that uh, La Liga has been a lot weaker uh, than usual. I mean, you know, maybe I'm just looking at it from a recency bias standpoint where I'm seeing, you know, 
clubs that are supposed to be extremely successful, you know, not even competing for a spot um, in the Champions League. I mean, we see Barca down at the the sixth spot in the table. Um, you know, Valencia is down. Villarreal is down towards the middle of the table. These are clubs that used to be some of the top clubs in Europe. And now they're towards the middle of the table and, uh, you know, kind of reaching and scratching at the bottom of the barrel, uh, trying to get those Champions League spots. So again, that's just kind of my recency biased standpoint as someone who isn't as educated on European football that there definitely is just from a general standpoint, a shifting of power and the strength of leagues in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a little bit of that shown in like Serie A recently. So I don't know where I would go between La Liga and Serie A, but I am right there with you. I have always been uh, someone who is underrated La Liga more than other people. There's uh, most other people I've talked to is like, oh, La Liga is the best league or oh, La Liga is like the second best. They've never been my second best for me. It's always been Prem and Bundesliga. And then I normally would have Serie A even over La Liga personally and my like preference for soccer. But now as the Serie A, I feel like it's getting a little bit, it's either weaker. It's just kind of like a little bit more contested than, I mean, maybe there's a little bit more look for the La Liga, but I just think that the other two leagues I mentioned first, Prem and Bundesliga are better. So, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I'm not a huge uh, fan of La Liga, but, you know, interesting times in that league. Uh, and obviously they did lose their two brightest stars, football's two brightest stars uh, over the past, you know, like four years. So that is a little wild. Um but yeah, I, I find it very interesting. And I, I guess my last point on this as well is someone like Diego Carlos um, has been attracted by other big clubs as well, like Chelsea. And uh, I believe there's been like a Tottenham rumor in the past. There's probably even been rumors to all the big six clubs. And that's where most people would expect him to go. I think that's really why it's the biggest surprise for me. Um, and that's why I think that this board is offering good money and they have a good bit of money because otherwise, if those rumors were true, you'd assume that Carlos would probably be looking at the bigger clubs. So, yeah, uh, great news for Newcastle United fans and then uh, great news from some Americans uh, here in the world of football. Uh, that is our transfer talk for now. There will most likely be more coming up soon. Uh, again, the transfer deadline ends at the end of this month, which I believe is January 31st. I might be wrong there. I'm probably wrong. Um, but that's that for now. So let's go ahead and move into the world of American football. And before we start with the playoffs, I did actually want to go with something a little bit interesting here, Kyle. I wanted to go ahead and start off by looking at Mel Kuyper's first mock draft. Uh, ESPN Plus dropped it recently uh, as an article. And normally, like, there's, uh, you know, you'll look at certain sites or you'll uh, listen to certain commentators and some players will be rated some way than another, but then Mel Kuyper will have it like completely different. And most likely Mel Kuyper, I mean, not most likely, but most of the time Mel Kuyper does have a sense on what's going on in the league. So a lot of these takes are going to be very interesting. So with that being said, what were some of these things in this uh, mock draft here from Mel Kuyper that really surprised you to see? Yeah, um, you know, I'm going to start by prefacing that, you know, my opinion on Mel Kuyper's mock draft, obviously highly touted um, and hotly contested. I think it's kind of the Joe Lenardi's bracketology prediction or final bracketology uh, prediction of the NFL, per se, where uh, you're going to get a lot of fans who will disagree. And, um, you know, like I said, it's going to be hotly contested, obviously, you know, I think the first couple of picks make sense to me. I think everybody knows Aiden Hutchinson. Thibodeau are kind of the two guys right now um, that with DNs being 
probably this might be one of the strongest DN classes ever. And it's really just them two making it. But these are two of the best DN prospects I've seen in a while. Um, that's what I expect. And I think, you know, he has Jacksonville taking Aiden Hutchinson first. Jacksonville could easily take Thibodeau. I think those guys are interchangeable at this point for the mm-hmm. one in the two speed. Um, you know, offensive tackle Evan Neal going up front makes sense to me as well for the Texans. They have a really weak O-line. Um, it's really some of the big names, like especially the QB class dropping down. Obviously not a very, very strong year for um, QBs. It's one of the weaker ones, yep. Definitely one of the weaker ones, but it's it's who in what order he has these QBs coming. Oh, yeah. um, you know, Malik Willis was in the Heisman conversation. He has them at number 11 for the Washington football team. I think that makes sense. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see a guy like Coral or Pickett up there as well. Again, I think those three are practically interchangeable, too, depending on the system of QBs that they're going into. Um, although I would agree that Malik Willis probably fits be- best out of all these teams that need QBs um, in Washington. Um, so, so that's just an interesting take right there. And then obviously the wide receiver class, not incredibly strong this year either. And I'm going to steal one of the things you mentioned before the podcast, Drake London being that first wide receiver in the class. <laughs> um, the New York Jets got that 10th pick via Seattle um, and they're taking that USC kid. I don't know. I, I think there's other wide receivers you could go with in this class. Garrett Wilson's one of them, um, but he has him dropping down to 13. But again, it's largely the QBs that uh, are the big question mark. I think there's a lot of teams this year that could use a QB, including the New Orleans Saints. Um, and apparently, according to Kuiper, Kenny Pickett is going to be the guy for them. Um, I don't know if, if they're even going to take a QB. I, I, I think they put a lot of trust in Taysom Hill. He's been a big name for them as of late, although obviously he's turning 32 this season and he hasn't been a uh, highly touted guy just yet um so obviously it would make a lot of sense for them to go with a qb although um you know it really obviously depends on whether or not they'll keep Jameis winston which i think we all have a sneaking suspicion they won't so uh for the most part i I would grade this a pretty dang good draft but i think he could flip-flop some of these prospects depending on what position they play i think matt coral dropping all the way down the 20th pick for the steelers again i think it makes sense that a quarterback is going to the steelers since raffles is gone um, but with that being said, is Matt Coral really going to drop down to the 20th spot? I'm sure there are teams that might take him over Pickett or um, uh, Malik Willis earlier in the draft. So it's really just dependent on what teams want, what, want what type of quarterback. Again, not a very strong year for quarterbacks. So I can see Kuyper's um, idea for letting them all drop back a little bit. I mean, the first quarterback isn't drafted until after the 10th pick, apparently, in his prediction. So. Uh, yeah, it could go a bunch of different ways, but for the most part, not too many surprises uh, except for the quarterback drafts. Yeah, I think one of the more surprising things is Kuiper did go with a very interesting scenario where the Panthers at the sixth spot did not take a quarterback whatsoever and instead decided to take offensive tackle Charles Pross. And I do love the talent of Pross and everything. That is not to be questioned. Um, the only thing that is uh, interesting to me is the fact that Sam Darnold was atrocious after the first three games and they had no other quarterbacks that they could really work with. So I would have figured that Kuiper would have guaranteed them to get a quarterback there. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you really delve into it. He, I mean, you know, he's probably mentioning the fact that they might be in the veteran QB market, kind of like Washington and Denver. Um, 
but no, I mean, actually, from even looking at this, they don't even really mention the facts of going for a quarterback here. It just mentions the fact that they, I think Taylor Moton might be out or something like that. So I did find that surprising as I think that Carolina is one of the most quarterback desperate teams here in the NFL. Um, yeah, Drake London was my most surprising. It's less due to the talent because I want you to think about this. There have been so many good USC receivers coming out uh, over the past like five years, Juju Smith-Schuster was one of the best receivers when he came out. Uh, he's been struggling since a, uh, AB left, but I mean, he's a talent. We've been able to see it. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. for Indianapolis, uh, definitely someone who is going to continue to rack up numbers as long as he's uh, in Indianapolis. He's one of the better receivers as well. He developed really fast. Uh, and then you have a Monterey St. Brown, someone who was an absolute star throughout like the last five or six games for Detroit. And they would throw him like double digit targets and he would go and put up like hundreds of yards. Um, so a, a USC receiver going early and I mean, honestly, even a USC receiver going over Chris Olave, I could see Drake London going that high. I think he's talented. He's six, five. Um, he was on pace for a record breaking season as Kuiper notes in, uh, in this until he broke, uh, he fractured his right ankle. Um, so London is a very solid talent. Um, can certainly get up there for the ball. But the fact that he was over not only Olave, but also Garrett Wilson definitely was a head scratcher for me as Wilson and Olave were two of the most outstanding athletes in college football this past season. Um, and then Malik Willis going as early as he did was also shocking to me. Um, I don't feel like, I, I don't think that like quarterback, like, no, I'm not even gonna say that. What I'm gonna say is, is I just don't feel like Malik Willis, at least for me, obviously we'll talk about our prospects, is higher than someone like Matt Coral or possibly even Kenny Pickett as well. Um, I, I like him. I think he's got great uh, footwork. I think he can throw the ball. Um, he was certainly a leader of this Liberty team um, for the past, what, three years or so. I just don't know if I have enough faith to draft him as the first quarterback. Um, if I were Washington there, uh, to me, if you wanted Malik Willis, I have a feeling that you could probably trade down and still get him because I believe it's going to be kind of debated on who's going to go for what. And I don't believe that a team like Pittsburgh would go for Malik Willis personally. Uh, you know, they had uh, Michael Vick for a little bit after Ben Roethlisberger got injured and Vick didn't like fully fit in uh, to that team in his place, if I remember right. So, I, I think that's a bit of a concern. Um, beyond that, I mean, the only other thing for me personally, and uh, again, this is something where uh, you could see um, where Kuiper is going with this, and you could see this player possibly not being up there. But I personally think that Devin Lloyd's a top 10 player in this draft. Uh, he's a top 10 prospect for me, and he's going at 15. Now, sure, some of those like top 10, top five guys do slide down the board, particularly for team needs. But I would have certainly thought like a team like Minnesota would be looking at it um, with Barn Kendricks getting up there and uh, needing a little bit more linebacker rotation in uh, Minnesota. So that was another one that was a little bit surprising for me. Beyond that, I mean, he has some pretty good picks. Um, and he had, like a lot of these picks make a lot of sense. Like Jameson Williams to New England would be incredible. Um, you have, you know, the likes of, though this might surprise a lot of people, uh, I, I want to say his name right, uh, Ebiketti, uh, Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State. Though it's someone that really hasn't been, I think, like ranked as like high, like as a first round guy. It's linebacker, it's LBU, uh, developed by Brent, uh, Brent Fry and uh, coaching staff there at Penn State. So 
uh, they, you know, they've developed some really good edge rushers. So why wouldn't you want to go and get a Penn State edge rusher, particularly when Jason away with Baltimore also had a pretty decent year. Um, and then, I mean, I don't think there's really anything else that's too surprising out of this uh, mock draft. Like, I think a lot of the guys that are going up here are uh, really good shouts by Kuiper. So I, I think it's good. Um, I like where he's going with it, but there's definitely a couple things that specifically shocked me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be very exciting as we get in the mock draft season. It was one of the more exciting times. Uh, it was right when I hopped into the podcast. It's almost been a year now. Um, and it's going to be fun to start talking about prospects and talking about teams and offseason and all that. But before that, we do have the playoffs still to go. And you and I both had um, in, incredible first rounds, both of us going five or six. Uh, but you missed on the Patriots going over the Bills, and I missed on the Cardinals going over the Rams. So just a little bit of review here on our playoff predictions and how we felt specifically. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I think the funny part about it, obviously you and I are both just as accurate, but man, Mm -hmm. for you and I, we missed, we missed. We missed Uh, hard. (laughs) We both really, really missed the mark. Uh, These Uh scores were pretty uh, decisive for both games that we got wrong. I really thought the Pats would compete against the Bills, and that obviously wasn't the case. And then same for you with the Cards and the Rams. And so you and I both had these tokens on each other saying, ha, look at that, you totally missed. But we we really missed on those. Um, but either way, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was honestly a really easy first-round prediction. Obviously, the games that could have gone both ways did. Um But for the most part, even the competitive games, I think, were, you know, decisive enough in hindsight for us to get. I think you and I both knew the Bengals would advance. Um, You know, Chiefs Steelers was pretty obvious. And then for the NFC, I think Bucks Eagles and uh, 49ers Cowboys was uh, pretty decisive as well. Although 49ers Cowboys was a tough one. I I wasn't really sure which way to go. Although at the end of the day, I think Jimmy G was going to perform either way. Um, So that's my first take on it. Um, like I said, when we missed, we missed. Not very comical. Yeah, I mean, I was happy that uh, we were able to land Niners. Um, I thought that that was going to kind of be the case. Uh, and I, I, I'm personally going to talk more about that game shortly. But, yeah, no, it was definitely comical that when we missed, we missed hard. But, I mean, I feel shocked on mine still a little bit. Like, the fact that Arizona went 8-1 and one away from home this season, including beating L.A. comfortably in L.A., um, the fact that they weren't able to pull it off is still very weird to me. Like they just, just kind of collapsed. And granted, they are without some of their players uh, that they had at that time. I believe JJ Watt was still healthy at that time, and certainly DeAndre Hopkins was either okay or he was a little bit banged up at that time. Um, but still, like this is a team that was starting to perform at least like they didn't go on a massive, massive losing streak at the end. And then they just weren't able to pull off a good game. So definitely disappointing, but you know, Hey, five or six pretty good hits. I'm, you know, I'm never going to be mad about that. And particularly when uh, our full on predictions, uh, my uh, bracket isn't really different at all. It's just no Arizona in this place. LA's in their place. I'll take it. So with that in mind, we will go into the second round and talk about it more, but let's go ahead here and recap the first round. And I want to look at three specific things here, and we'll go one by one. We'll go from uh, what we thought was our best game of this past weekend, uh, the worst performance of this past weekend. That can be a player, that can be a team, etc. And then your biggest surprise. Yeah, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combine two of them. 
uh, worst performance and biggest surprise at the same time. I really expected the Pats to be able to compete against the Bills, um, mm-hmm. but they simply just did not run the ball on the ground. Um, you know, Mac Jones had a game that I expected, although he gave up two picks. Otherwise, you know, they tried to use their guys on the ground as much as possible. They had four different dudes take touches from the backfield, um, two of which had more than five touches. And they, they just got stopped. And, you know, to be fair, the Bills have a strong defense, but I thought considering the conditions they'd be playing in, uh, the ground game would be more important. But uh, that Nor'easter passed quick enough, and so it really didn't have as much of an effect on the game that I thought. Um, so that's a combination of the two right there. Worst performance and biggest surprise. And then you said favorite game is our next pick, right? Uh, yeah, the best game was also one of them. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great first round. Like like I said, you and I, when we missed, we missed, but we knew which games would be competitive. Um, you know, I think Bucks Eagles was pretty decisive. I was surprised that the Bengals uh, went within a score of the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go with 49ers Cowboys as the best game. Um, the Cowboys really tried to claw their way back towards the end. Um, and as I expected, it would be a really competitive game, but um, even more fun about it. We all expected Debo Samuel to have a great game and he sure did, um, you know, plenty of yards from the backfield and a couple of receptions too. the kids, a stud. I expected him to, um, you know, outshine a lot of the other guys on the field that night. And he really helps the 49ers perform. Uh, certainly. And I mean, I, I like definitely some of those things there. I will go ahead and start off here. Uh, I think with my biggest surprise and my biggest surprise is going to be um, Arizona not performing uh, against Los Angeles. Um, I mean, I've already kind of talked about it, so I won't touch up too much. It's just the fact that this team really wasn't able to get anything going, um, really only being able to score in the second half. It's just it it wasn't really um, what you would expect out of the talent that uh, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and the team were able to uh, show on the field throughout this season. Uh, Kyler Murray throwing two interceptions and really not being able to throw that deep. Um, They've had nothing on the ground. It's just that offense really weren't able to get it going at all. And I think that's probably the most shocking thing. Um, I, I could have seen that game going either way. Obviously, I think it was probably the hardest one to predict, in my opinion, it's, you know, four or five matchup. But um, for it to be that decisive on Los Angeles's end is certainly a bit shocking. And I think it's something to possibly take into account as we go here into the second round, if that Los Angeles defense is going to continue to be solid and uh, if Stafford can continue to throw that ball and possibly even air it out more. Um, the best game for me is certainly got to be Cincy Las Vegas. Now, my issue is, is that both the close games this weekend had um, uh, officiating things that people threw up the, threw their hands up in the air for, but um, I'm not really going to speak on those. Um, what I will say is this, the Bengals uh, Vegas game was like neck and neck throughout the whole matchup. Uh, the Bengals you thought were possibly going to just run away with the game after they went up 13 to three, but at halftime, they're only up 20 to 13. And then they just traded field goal scores towards the end. And then you had that um, last play call that I, I think was, if I remember right, it was the last play call that was controversial, but it still went over in the way the Bengals um, it is definitely concerning that the Bengals didn't do better. However, this is still a solid team, and it's not that Las Vegas is a bad team. So uh, clearly both teams had a lot of fight. And, you know, I, I mean, 
it, it, it's, it's good. And at least we were able to get like one solid game out of this round. Cause uh, as you're kind of mentioning, even the rest were kind of spaced out and the worst performance for me has got to be the Dallas Cowboys offense. Um, the defense was able to do enough to hold San Fran at 23. They could have done like, you know, they probably could have held them a little bit better in my opinion, because this is certainly a defense that has uh, been exceptional throughout this year, uh, way different than what the defense was last year. Um, but specifically Dak Prescott in this Dallas Cowboys offense was so massively underwhelming. Uh, Dak Prescott, um, I think just barely there throwing at 50% um, for, you know, a little bit over 10 yards per completion. Um, but then a touchdown and interception, he just really didn't do much on top of that. Ezekiel Elliott, someone who has been honestly a little bit underwhelming for a while, continued to be underwhelming 12 rushes for 31 yards. That's just, that's unacceptable for someone that you pay as a top five back in the NFL. Um, just feels like it's closer and closer to a breakup between those two, at least in my opinion. And on top of that, the fact the biggest disappointment from my opinion for Dak Prescott is the fact that CD lamb had one catch one CD lamb is one of the best receivers. Uh, I think that we have in the NFL. Uh, he had five targets and he only had one catch. You, you've got to be joking. CD lamb is so talented. You crafted him for a reason. And if you're not going to be giving him the ball, like he should be getting, and you're going to just, Dalton Schultz is very talented. You're just going to toss Dalton Schultz the ball and whatnot, like, and get those easier passes. Like, why'd you go CD Lamb in the first place? Why, why didn't you just be like, okay, let's not go CD Lamb. Let's, let's get, you know, a corner now because that was what was talked about at the time. And then CD Lamb was just kind of like stealing him from Philly. And it was like, well, why? And then CD Lamb was really talented, but you're not using him in the playoffs. Really? That's the time you don't want to use CD Lamb? It's just kind of ridiculous to me. Um, it seems like it was a, a it was a recipe of poor play calling um, with uh, poor performances from Dak Prescott and Zeke and team. And the I, I think even on top of that, even in the media, whether it was on the refs or not, the fact that um, I, I think it was Demarcus Lawrence was the other one, but that Dak Prescott, who also got fined for this, went immediately to trash the refs rather than. Uh, you know, though, I guess that was the headline. He, he may have put the game on himself as well, but the fact that he went to trash the refs is just kind of ridiculous to me. Um, so yeah, it's just, it was bad. Dallas cannot accept that for next, uh, next season. And yeah, I mean, the 49ers won, but it's not like the 49ers won when Dallas's offense was actually doing anything at AT AT&T. So yeah. I think that's my worst for me. Um, so with that being said, Kyle, we are here in the second round. We are actually, as we're recording this, one day away, I believe. And if you're looking at that next schedule here for the divisional round, it's going to be very, very, very exciting. And I'll go one by one here. We have our I have the Saturday and Sunday matchups lined up. We do not have a Monday game. Hallelujah. Um, nothing against Monday games. This is more the fact I like it over the weekend for, you know, little football weekend. I digress. Let's start off here with what I think is the game that you and I are the most excited for. I think the by far best game of this round. How about Cincinnati, Tennessee? Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites. Again, I think Cincinnati at the four seed is one of the most underrated teams in the playoffs um you know even with that las vegas raiders game it's tough for me because um like i said i've had high praise for the Bengals ever since i 
really saw uh, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow combine the way they have. Um, I mean, the chemistry is obviously there. Um, obviously, I got the prediction of them over the Raiders right. But my main takeaway is that their offense did not perform as well as I thought it would um, against a average at best defense with the Raiders. With that being said, I have to deviate from what my original playoff prediction was. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. my playoff bracket is a little messed up because I had the Pats over the Bills, and that would mean the Bills would be um, one of those top seeds or the the Pats, excuse me, would be one of the lower seeds. And so the Chiefs would ultimately um, move over to a different spot. But with that being said, um, not to deviate, I'm going to have to go with the Titans on this one. Uh, I just think that Ryan Tannehill's experience is going to shine over Joe Burrow. Um, He doesn't need a a big receiving core. Uh, Obviously, it's still up in the air exactly what Derrick Henry will be doing um, for this week, although I haven't heard much news about it. I could be behind on that, though. Um, I still think that they're just a better managed team. Um, But I do think this will probably be the most hotly contested game in the playoffs outside of the Chiefs-Bills game. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a very exciting one. I'm not going to move away from Cincinnati. It was in my original prediction. I'm going to hold strong. Um, Mike, I I mean, obviously, Derek Henry is always going to be concerned when he's on the field. He's one of the best players in um, the the football right now. Um, I think... Where my concern lies is the fact that Cincinnati got a little bit banged up against Las Vegas. Um, now, I don't think that they really had offensive players really getting banged up, but they, if I remember right, they had like a couple of their uh, bigger defensive pieces uh, get a little bit banged up or something. So I, I hope that those players are going to be there. Uh, obviously, Tennessee is still playing with a, a very injured team, though they're at least looking to get Derrick Henry back. Um so it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, I just find it interesting. Uh, it's sometimes like that week off um, when it was like, you know, the one and two seed getting the week off or whatnot, sometimes kind of throw these teams off. And I'm going to find it very interesting when we enter inside Nissan Stadium to see how this game is going to go. I think it's going to be a very close game. I do think Cincinnati is going to win. I don't know, though. It's it's very interesting. Um and again, uh, we, we talked about it last time. It feels weird that um, it feels like a majority of like analysts and neutrals are so low on this Tennessee team when a lot of people expect them to be the number one. Um, I personally didn't expect them to be one, but I expect them to be good. I digress. Um, so, yeah, it, it's surprising that I still feel this confident in Cincinnati, but it, it'll be interesting to see. And whether they win or not, I do think this will be a close game. So it's going to be very exciting. But moving on from that, Aaron Rodgers uh, in the, the Saturday night game is going to be facing a little bit of his demons here as he's going up against the team who smoked him, uh, smoked him in the Packers in 2019 against San Francisco. But this time it's going to be uh, at Lambeau Field. Yeah, I think this. This is a different game. Simply put, I got the Packers. Um, you know, they've just been an incredibly strong offense all year long. Aaron Rodgers continues to be a, you know, uh, first round Hall of Famer type of candidate. He's uh, been incredible there and he's even better at home at Lambeau. Um, I just expect him to pull away much stronger offense, more assets to go to and just a much, much better arm than Jimmy G. Um, and that's not just the bias of seeing a one seed versus a six seed. I just don't think Jimmy G is going to be able to compete this time around against much better managed offense um, from Aaron Rodgers. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm in agreement with you. Um, and for even another reason that the Packers are uh, undefeated at Lambeau this year, um, which isn't too much of a surprise. Lambeau is almost, it almost feels like, you know, when you're looking at Old Trafford or at least what was Old Trafford at Manchester United and other types of stuff, it is just a very hard place to go and win, um, particularly at this time of year. I, for me, though, it's not even the offense is why I'm sold on this. It's surprisingly enough the defense. And I still don't think the defense is, like, outstanding or anything. I still have my concerns just with, you know, the like like the lack of, like, recognition for names and everything. But Rasul Douglas was incredible this year. Jair Alexander has been back for a few weeks now. And this, tef- this defense is, like, almost as full stride as it's going to get. I think it's one of the better defenses that Green Bay has had in a while now. Um, certainly the, I think that they've had probably the last couple playoffs, um, as I feel like Rasul Douglas and, uh, uh, Jair Alexander can get it done on the perimeter or actually I'll know perimeter. Um, I'm just going to say secondary as a whole. Um, and I think that's really, what's going to be the uh, problem here for San Francisco because Alexander versus Samuel is going to be an incredible matchup and it'll be interesting to see if Samuel can break away from him. Um, if Samuel is able to have a lights out performance, I could see this definitely being um, a closer game than anyone would expect. But personally, I do kind of agree with you. I think Green Bay will get away from this game. I think they'll probably win it by a couple drives. Um, And they're going to look strong at Lambeau to face off against uh, either of these next teams uh, that play in the first game on Sunday, Los Angeles going into Tampa Bay. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think this is going to be a really competitive one, too, outside of uh, the Chiefs, Bills, and maybe the Titans, Bengals. This probably would be the, one of the most popular of the four games we've got left. Um, but simply put, it's it's a young quarterback versus a veteran quarterback, or at least, you know, the Rams QB isn't as young as we'd like to think. But when you have Tom Brady in the field, everybody's young. Um, and I think it's going to be the case of veteranship. Uh, Tom Brady knows how to manage his squad. Even when they're a little banged up, he still has plenty of good tools offensively, and their defense has been solid all year long, even with them being incredibly banged up too. Um, I think it's going to be competitive because of the circumstance, but it's tough to go down to Tampa Bay where uh, Tom Brady's been so successful all year and grab a win. Um, With that being said, I think Tom Brady's going to win a tight one against the Rams. These two teams did play earlier on the year, and I uh, actually, ironically, just like the 49ers and the Packers, they met in week three. Uh, the Packers getting the better of uh, San Francisco. Um, I believe both teams being in cir- different circumstances. I think, uh, no, the Packers may have been at Lambeau. I digress. I was just looking at the Packers' schedule. But uh, the Buccaneers did lose to the Rams, and they lost to them uh, in uh, at SoFi, though, uh, 34-24. I'm going to say this. This is the one game. This is the one game of the four games that I've, you know, that I have set up that I almost want to change, which might surprise you and might surprise listeners. Like it's weird. Um, I feel like I should be more confident in Brady. I feel like I should be more confident in Tampa Bay. My concern is this. It's a banged up defense, as you've said, and as we've known throughout the year. And on top of that, which is the reason why I had Green Bay uh, over Tampa in my original predictions, is the fact that they're limited on weapons. Uh, AB obviously walked out of the team, and Chris Godwin hit the IR. So you're down to Mike Evans and Tyler Johnson, and uh, I feel like I'm still forgetting. uh, I think I'm forgetting a receiver that I should probably know, but you have, like, Gronk and the other tight ends that are still healthy. Um, 
though, I mean, granted, they have found an excellent weapon in Keyshawn Vaughn, I believe his second year. It might still be his rookie, but Vaughn has certainly been able to have some shine late in the season. But, man, I feel like I, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to stick with my original predictions because I still have my original teams up here. But if there was a game that I would flip, it is this one. And the reason I'm saying it is because not only because of everything on Tampa's side, but if you look at Los Angeles, not only have they been successful in the playoffs under McVay, not only did they just get that uh, dominant win over Arizona at home, but if they get to the Super Bowl, they're at home. And if you remember from, you know, last, you know, well, just about a year ago, Tampa Bay were able to play in the Super Bowl at Raymond James and then dominated Kansas City. So I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to have another team, uh, you know, getting there to home, but I do think it's a little bit more incentive for Los Angeles to uh, fight in these playoffs to where they can play in front of whatever home fans are able to get. Cause I know like sometimes I think the Packers fans have outnumbered them in their own stadium, etc. So this is probably the tightest game for me. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this outcome ends up. So with that, we do have one more game left here, Kyle, to talk about, and it is Buffalo versus Kansas City. Yeah, this is this is going to be a really good one, too. Um, I mean, both teams had absolutely potent offenses in the first round. But looking at the numbers, you got to you got to take the bills, in my opinion. I think both offenses are great, but the bills are too varied on offense. Um they were fantastic, fantastic on the ground. Um, not to mention Josh Allen's been an absolute stud both ways. He had five touchdowns, uh, five touchdowns, excuse me, 300 yards in the air. Um, you know, and he had plenty more on the ground too. obviously 66 yards on the ground. So this dude could literally go for 400 yards total, um, against the chiefs chiefs, a little banged up on defense too. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they have good secondary, so it's going to be tough for Josh to throw into them, but, I think with Josh Allen and even the guys they have in the backfield, Devin Singletary has been fantastic. Um, McKenzie and Moss can get a couple touches to uh, grab a couple yards as well. Um, Simply put, I think they have too many tools on offense. Um, I expect them to do really well. Uh, They protect their quarterback super well. They gave up no sacks against a really good primary in the Patriots. um, And they didn't give up an interception either. So it was one of the worst showings by the Pats defense all year, a defense that usually I'm very confident in. So with that being said, I think the Bills are just too strong of a team offensively and their defense is shown through as well. I expect the Bills to pull through in a really tight matchup against the Chiefs. Wow, uh, that's definitely gonna, this is definitely an interesting look, and it's uh, interesting to see because like, obviously, as you said, you had to change up uh, some of your stuff from the original predictions. But I mean, I I, I can't see where you're going with this, particularly because if you uh, think about it again, this is the third of these four matchups that has already occurred this season, uh, occurring in Week Five when the Bills went into Arrowhead and they won by 18. So now they're back. Um, as the more as possibly pretty confident here, uh, looking at it like, hey, we've already won here before. Why can't we win here again? I think that this is the most likely game, even of other matchups that can occur, even including in the Super Bowl, that will be a shootout. I could see this game going high scoring because both defenses are not great. And you're going to be surprised by my saying that with the Bills. But the reason I'm saying that with the Bills is when you look at the talent in Kansas City, um, 
and you're looking at Kelsey and Hill and Hardman and everyone like that. Uh, normally when you're up against Buffalo, they're going to be like, yeah, they're going to have a Tredavious white and he's going to be covering like Hill and or Kelsey. And he's going to be strapping up their offense. Sure. Issue is Tredavious white has been out injured. He's been out on the IR. So he's not going to be playing. And the rest of that bill secondary is kind of, eh, it's, it's, it's decent. I like Micah Hyde. Um, but otherwise it's just not that great. It is not the same without Tredavious White. And that is my biggest concern, which is why even when we had originally talked about this matchup, I was still going with Kansas city over, uh, Buffalo. It's because I think that without someone like Trey white, but Kansas city is going to have most of their way. They have a very strong offensive line. Um, and then on the other end for Buffalo, though, sure, a very strong front seven for New England, uh, Kansas City, that's probably the strongest part of their defense right now, right now particularly ever since they got uh, from Pittsburgh, uh, Melvin Ingram. So I do think that this is going to be a high scoring game between both sides as both defenses I do not think are at their best. Certainly Kansas City is not a great one, but Buffalo is a little bit banged up. But I do think Kansas City is going to be able to redeem themselves at Arrowhead uh, to be able to uh, get the win. And it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. And as I said, I hope that this is our uh, shootout game. And it's going to, I think this might be the best game of this weekend, or at least the most entertaining to watch. Absolutely. Like I said, I agree. Um, I think if there's any game that's going to be a shootout in the playoffs, it's this. Um, just considering the seeds, it's a two versus a three. They're two top teams right now. Um, and just the offenses. Um, again, I think it, it can go both ways. Both defenses are knocked up, but I still think the Bills have a really strong defense. Um, that's designed for the offense of the Chiefs. Uh, they really like to go in the air and obviously um, – Pat Mahomes is, has been a guy who is known to really force his hand in the air too. I mean, just with the athleticism, the trickery, a lot of crazy throws he can make. Um, with that being said, I think the Bills secondary is still one of the strongest in the playoffs. And so it, it could go really, really poorly for the Chiefs. But I agree. I just think with the potent offenses, both squads have, this could be an absolute shootout. And this is definitely the number one game to watch in the playoffs for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I I still can't fault you with going with the Bills. Uh, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, a lot of teams in the AFC are having to build this defense around Kansas City. With that being said, a very exciting second round of the playoffs to be coming up. Um, very exciting news that we were able to talk about in the world of football. Kyle, again, of course, it is a pleasure as always to talk with you. And it's a pleasure that you guys are willing, uh, coming in to listen to us. Uh, we'll have more podcasts here coming up soon, but this is our uh, this is our football podcast for this week. A little bit of the preview here for the first round. Um, with that being said, uh, make sure again for any of our future podcasts to go ahead and look into uh, you know where you're listening to right now um, and whatnot. And you can also. F- follow i think either of us on twitter we can keep some updates here as things are going to be getting a little bit uh interesting and particularly with the playoffs there's going to be a lot to talk about and some pretty uh good takes to talk about so very excited for that thank you so much for listening um and have a great rest of your day whatever time of day it is um thank you so much for listening take care